the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Oh, Tyson, my friend. How are you? I am doing great. I was telling Charlotte, I, and like today, I just had to get in a different spot. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the conference room today. I had to move around a little bit. It's just one of those days. It's kind of gloomy outside. It's been raining the last couple of days, but doing well otherwise. How about you? Great, great. Getting back in the swing of things. It's good to be recording on every Tuesday again. So I'm excited. I'm excited about our guest today, too. You want to go ahead and introduce her? Yeah. So Charlotte Erdman, she specializes in tax law. And I'm going to get into her bio in a second just by asking her a bunch of questions. But Charlotte, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Charlotte, uh, you did a great job of filling us in on your background story. I I learned a lot reading uh, what you sent us, and I appreciate that. Can you tell our audience a little bit about, as Tyson would call it, your journey from being a young strapping Canadian to being a tax lawyer in Florida? Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada. Law school was never really on the radar during my my early years. I went to the University of, of British Columbia Halfway through my university journey, uh, my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and then passed away one month later. I was an only child. My parents were divorced. My father lived halfway across the country in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Because of the upheaval that I had experienced, I kind of wanted to go for a fifth year of college. I was double majoring philosophy and religious studies. And my dad didn't like that. He didn't want to pay for it. And so he took me to court to try to get a a modification on the uh, child support. So I was kind of devastated. I'm 22 years old, just lost my mother. And now my father's taking me to court. So I prepared my own affidavit, my own financial statements. And I set a court date and, and walked in there and it was open court set for 20 minutes. I think it lasted 40 minutes where I I had a legal argument. I I cried in front of the judge, but eventually prevailed on all back child support and spousal support. I was not able to secure child support moving forward, but I was able to set the payment schedule and things like that. In Canada, if you're under the age of 25, you're going to school full-time and you're living under the care of a parent, you're still entitled to child support. 
Well, since my mom was was gone, I was technically no longer living under the care of a parent. So, you know, that was a very uh, traumatic experience for me. There was some levity, you know, during the proceedings. My dad was uh, telling the judge that, you know, I was getting a philosophy degree and, and what good was that? And, and, you know, I could have gone into drafting, which was on the radar at one time in my past. And the judge looked at him and said, I have an honors degree in philosophy. She can be a lawyer. And the whole courtroom basically erupted. But I swore I would never, ever be an attorney that moment on. And then I kind of got over it. <laughs> I, I, I met my husband online um, did my own immigration, married an American. And, and about a year into the marriage, I was like, well, you know, I, I went through this traumatic experience. I did my own immigration. I did this. Maybe there is something in law for me. And so, you know, I, I like to say I had a legally blonde moment and I woke up one day like Elle Woods and said, I think I'll go to law school today. So I took the LSAT, you know, moved my family across the country, started law school and, and, found myself liking tax law of all things, anything but family law. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the reasons I do family law. I mean, sorry, tax law. So talk a little bit more about why you did, why you did tax law. Cause you, there's a little bit more to the story cause you, you started to help low and middle class individuals, uh, low and middle class households in law school. So you talk a little bit about that and what, what drew you a little bit more to tax law. So two things really, you know, drew me to tax law. Um, you know, one thing, you know, because I was an, an immigrant, I didn't really understand too much about, you know, the American legal system to begin with. And, and I was, you know, thinking if I'm if I'm going to live here the rest of my life, I should know something about the tax law if I'm going to be subject to, you know, pay taxes in this country. The other major motivating factor for me was my law school, you know, year after year kept winning these ABA Volunteer Income Tax Association awards. The VITA program, the VITA program was in partnership, is in partnership with the IRS. And basically it's a volunteer program where they train volunteers and volunteers help prepare the income taxes of low and and middle income uh, families. So, you know, it was very basic at first, you know, on what line does, a W-2 go, you know, where do I put this on a form 1040? I I didn't know. I didn't know the differences between deductions and credits, you know, and and gross income and and net income and adjusted gross income. I mean, I I really started out with with no knowledge, no background. And again, my background was philosophy and religious studies, not accounting, not business. So I I liked the intellectual challenge of it. I liked the, the curiosity of it. Tax law isn't necessarily, you know, black and white. There's a lot of a, a lot of gray, a lot of, of of wiggle room, and that's kind of what really piqued my interest. So, how did that manifest as far as you starting up your firm, and maybe walk us through starting your firm up until that point, that week after you had your your daughter, because um, I think that that's a really remarkable part of your story. And and I'll I'll be honest that I read over your description this morning, and then I was listening to Bruce Springsteen on the way into the office and I heard tougher than the rest. And I think that you're, you're a lot tougher than I thought you were. Not that I didn't think you were tough, but just everything with your dad and your mom and, and then your, your paralegal, maybe walk us through that part of the story. 
Sure. I'll take one more step back. And, and when I graduated law school was, was at, at the fallout of the last economic fallout 10 years ago with the mortgage crisis. So, you know, after law school, I did an extra year. I did my LLM program, graduated. There was, there was nothing in town. The only game in town was, was either foreclosure defense or, or foreclosure prosecution. Uh, and, and that was basically the only two things in, in town. So I, I took a job doing foreclosure defense and short sale and deed in lieu of negotiations. I was more on the transactional side. I didn't really like the way that the law firm was operating. So I quit and started a firm with a, f- a former employee of that larger firm. That partnership didn't work out. We were only together about six months. Part of it was a personality issue and part of it was a distance issue. She was on the coast. I was you know, in Orlando. She was taking all the distributions. I wasn't taking any. <laughs> um, and, and I just think we uh, didn't go into the partnership with eyes fully wide open. So um, that only lasted six months, but I, I wanted to start a firm solely in tax controversy and litigation because I have a tax LLM. I want to practice tax law and, and no one else was hiring for it. And if no one else was hiring for it, I was going to do what I was going to do to start my practice. So I started the practice with about 800 bucks. The main things that I tried to focus on was having a good headshot, having a, a physical space, you know, in a building, and then a little bit on advertising. Not, not much. I think I, I paid $80 for an Avo profile. Um, and I, I got my clients in those early days by answering Avo questions really, really well. I built a Wix site, you know, the, the building I was in, I was a hundred square foot office, no windows, but we had a shared conference room. We were downtown the SEO was good. So I, I started the law firm as Erdman Law PLLC. Well, no one knew how to spell my name. No one really knew where to find me, but I'd, I'd started to get a little bit of traction and, and known for, for the work that I was doing. Eventually, I was able to start hiring help. And, and at first, it was college students part-time. Eventually, I had enough work that I needed someone who was licensed to practice before the IRS. So I had this one brilliant assistant full-time hit her a, a lot of money in order to have her, you know, and, and then I found out that we were expecting our, our first child about 14 years into our marriage, my husband and I, of course. So looking at, at moving forward with the firm, you know, we were, we were trying to get everything ready, you know, to, that the firm would run smoothly when I had when I had the baby. And my assistant was brilliant. She could basically run the law firm without me. So I thought, this is great. This is going to be smooth. I'll have the baby. You know, I'll start trickling in three or four or five weeks later. And and it just didn't just didn't go that smoothly. I had the baby, which was on a Monday, and then got home from the hospital on the Thursday and the Friday. My brilliant assistant who could run the firm without me, who I was expecting to run the firm without me, as that was the plan, she gave her two weeks notice. And I was completely and utterly devastated. I was destroyed. Not only was I dealing with, you know, postpartum hormones and the fact that I just had, you know, a a baby, but basically everything that I had been working so hard to build, you know, the first four years of, of practice, you know, it was, was basically 
crumbling down around me. It was terrifying, you know, and, and I was just, I was destroyed. I mean, I was in tears on the phone. She was also in tears on the phone as well. I mean, we had a good, you know, we had a good relationship, but I was just blinded by this. You know, looking back, I appreciated that she told me after I had the baby and not before, because I think that that would have been much more difficult. But my initial reaction when she told me was basically sheer panic and emotion. And I basically handed off my five-day-old baby to my mother-in-law and then basically cried for three hours. <laughs> uh, and, and, then, and then after I got that out, I, I just had to regroup. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to go down without a fight. And, and the first two things that I needed was I needed to find a nanny and I needed to find a new replacement. So I immediately, after I regained some sort of composure, took to Facebook, took to my network and said, I need a nanny. I need a replacement. These are the parameters. So within, within a week after that, I had a new assistant, had a nanny. And, you know, to give credit where credit is due of my assistant, I mean, you know, she had to leave for her own personal, you know, circumstances. I mean, she, she got a really big corporate job with all the bells and whistles with probably a salary double than what she was making with health insurance, with all that stuff. And she stayed the entire two weeks. She probably worked 80 hours a week those weeks and then didn't put more than, you know, 40 on her time card, you know, so she, she, she didn't leave me hanging, even though it felt in the moment that she was leaving me hanging. But we also had a major, major case that week, you know, as well. So, you know, the, the first two, three weeks of my child's life, I mean, I'm, I'm up till midnight, you know, nursing the baby while I'm on the computer typing up a protest and working, trying to onboard uh, the new person, everything else like that. But, you know, we, we got through it, we survived. And, you know, I would say within 10 months after that, we moved to my, my new bigger office, you know, and that was about two years ago, almost three. My oldest child is the one that at the time, she's going to be three in March. So, you know, it, it, it's not, it's still pretty recent. You know, in that time, I've gone from two people, me and her, to now we're an office of five. And now we're in a much bigger space. We're in our, you know, 900 square foot office, team of five. So, you know, we just, we just kept pushing along. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. So, Charlotte, I want to pause kind of right where we are right now. And I want you to think about all the struggles that you've gone through, starting your firm and, and losing people and having to... Uh, take your newborn and five year five day old newborn and give it give uh, your child to your mother to take care of. I want you to think about all this stuff. 
And what advice would you give to people starting their law firm today? Because I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons going through what you've gone through. So what advice would you give a new lawyer starting their law firm today? I would start with having a clear vision of what you want your firm to become in the future. You know, what does that firm look like? You know, are you are you niche? Are, are you in a, a, a specialized practice area? You know, what is the type of service that you want to provide? Do you want to be high volume? You want to be, you know, nation quality? Do you want to, you know, grow large? Do you want to stay small? You know, really think about the vision for where you want to be because you have the ability to control that. So I would start there. And that's where I had started. And, you know, it was the vision and not just the vision of the law firm and what it looks like, but, you know, the vision for your life and how that law firm supports the story of your life. Because we all spend a lot of time in our law firm, you know, good amounts of time, good amounts of our life. And there's a trade-off to that. There's a trade-off for time that we don't get to spend with our family. There's a trade-off of of all these other things. So, you know, we need to enjoy and find meaning in, in the work that we're going to do and in the thing that we're, we're building. And it kind of has to be beyond ourselves, but also fit into that vision of our, our life, you know, for our future and for our families. So start with your vision. For me, the vision was be a, a tax specific controversy and litigation firm. And it didn't start out that way. I was doing foreclosure defense and short sales and whatever I could to, to pay the bills. And I, I learned from scratch my practice area. And I started there. And as I was able to, I started dropping off the things that I didn't want to do. So, you know, even now, if a tax case comes in the door, but it's not controversy and litigation, I send it out. Yes, I can do entity planning. Yes, I can do mergers and acquisitions, but it's not what we do. And it doesn't fit within, you know, the current vision of our firm. So we send it out. The that. other thing that I would, I think, recommend to, to new attorneys is, you know, is really get out there and network, you know, because it's a cheap form of advertising. And that's one of the biggest concerns for new attorneys is where am I going to get my cases? You know, you really have to try to create a name for yourself and you do that by getting out there. That was another reason why I, I got really active in my state tax bar association. So I'm, I'm a director of the Florida Bar Tax Section. I found that that's really helped my business and also, you know, my knowledge base as well. I want to pick up on the Charlotte giving advice questioning. And I've been talking, Charlotte, to two or three people in the guild, Tyson has two lately, who are really on the fence about hiring someone. It could be an admin, it could be a paralegal, it could be an associate. Now that you have a good team around you, what advice would you have for those members who are struggling about when the right time to hire a new person is? I would say a couple things. One thing is, you know, you need to value your time and basically use your time to its highest and best use. And oftentimes that's not pushing paper, doing mailing, opening the mail, scanning the mail, scanning the documents, you know, answering the phone. And I answered my own phone for the first you know, two years 
but you really need to clear up your schedule so that you can focus on your highest value items. And whether that's billing your big cases or whether that's networking and marketing, whether that's focusing on the vision of your firm, you kind of need to to clear that space to do so. One exercise that was shared with me that I found was really useful is basically, you know, writing out a list. What is the stuff that you hate to do? You know, write that down. You know, also write down the stuff that you love doing or that you only want to do. And I find myself going back to that list even now with a staff of five, and I still find myself doing the stuff that I don't want to be doing, but I'm better at it. And so hire out the stuff that you you don't want to do, the stuff that's not the best use of your time. Otherwise, you're, you're going to get overwhelmed. I know one of the big concerns is, is money. You know, when it comes to hiring a new person, where am I going to find the money to do so? Chances are that that person is going to be an asset and is going to lead to you making more money, either because you're going to be more freed up to, to bill your time or to work on the marketing efforts to, to bring in the cases and, and to bring in the clients. So, you know, I think if you hire, the money will come, but you also have to be very clear of, of, of what you're hiring for. And, and that's something that we have struggled with, you know, here in, here in my firm a little bit as well. Um, I was pretty resistant to hire an attorney for a while, and we've needed one probably for a while. In my practice area, I deal a lot, obviously, with the IRS. And there's other authorized people who can speak to the IRS who are not attorneys. Uh, They can be CPAs. They can also be what's called an enrolled agent. So a year ago, it was just myself and three enrolled agents. We didn't have a dedicated administrative person. We also didn't have a CPA. We also did not have an attorney. And it was a little bit more dysfunctional. One of the enrolled agents took on more of the administrative duties, but she still had some of her own caseload kind of thing. But there wasn't, you know, dedicated uh, delineations of of really people's roles and responsibilities. Throughout the course of the last year, you know, especially with COVID, there's been some shifting around with our positions. One of our enrolled agents left for another position. One of them left because she was homeschooling five children and she has since come back. We also hired an admin person, and and that's really her sole role and focus. And we also hired a CPA in-house, and we also hired a new associate attorney. So now there's five of us total. And it's been the best thing. I was really scared to hire an attorney because I was scared that someone was going to come in and steal my business. (laughs) And and I I, I think that was the most terrifying thing for me. So I was thinking... For, for the last five or for five years of the six of my practice, if I hire an, an attorney, they're going to come in and steal my practice. I'm just going to stick with enrolled agents or these other people. But sometimes those other people can't do the same level of work as an attorney and you need to have, you need to have an attorney. And so I think that that kind of lead, you know, led me to the hiring process and to really spend a good amount of time looking for the right fit for an attorney. So it took me over two months to look for the right attorney. And basically I, I was really upfront and honest. I'm like, look, this is the position I'm offering. This is one of my biggest fears. I'm scared that someone's gonna 
come in and steal my business, you know? And, and I think there's the saying of, of the grinders, miners, and finders. You, you got to find someone who, who doesn't want to mind a, a business that wants to just grind out the work and to really be a specialist. So, you know, I believe that I, I found that person and, and so far it's been working out really great. I really love that message, Charlotte. Unfortunately, we are up against the time. So I'm going to begin to wrap things up. I, I think we could probably chat for hours. This is just really interesting to me. So I, I just learning your, more about your story has just been really fascinating. So thanks for sharing that. But I am going to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to uh, join us in the big group if you're not in the guild. So join us in the big group. If you are interested in the guild, go to maxlawguild.com. There are a lot of great people like Charlotte in the guild that are they're willing to share their knowledge on a daily basis. And if you don't mind taking just a few seconds at the end of this podcast, give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? So there are a lot of good books on growing fast or scaling up, including Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. And there's a great podcast called Masters of Scale by Reed Hoffman that I like. He has compiled a lot of the lessons that he learned helping start PayPal and LinkedIn in, in a book called Blitz Scaling. I'm about a third of the way through it. And I like the book so much that I almost want to stop each chapter and make little slides for myself to really teach myself the concepts because it's, it's, it's written for fast growing tech companies, but a lot of the principles apply, especially as we're growing so fast here at our firm that there's not a lot out there that I found that, that I I've enjoyed as much. I love it. Very good. All right, Charlotte, you know, the routine, what is your tip or hack of the week? So we've all been pretty isolated recently because of this whole COVID thing. But, you know, as stuff starts to open up and we're able to start having lunches again, I think my my tip or my challenge would be to go out to lunch with someone who you would not normally go out to lunch with. We are a nation right now in need of, of some healing, but also there's so much that we can learn from someone who is different than us. Oftentimes, you know, people complain about the old white man attorney in town, go take him out to lunch. You know, he's probably got some great war stories, some great business tips, and and you might find that you have a lot more uh, in, in common. So so my, my hack or tip of the week is, is to go out to lunch with someone who we wouldn't normally go out to lunch with. I love it. That's perfect. So good. So last week I had on... Um, Jim was unavailable, so I had on Jason Selk, and I interviewed him, and he talked about his new book a little bit, and he's just, honestly, he's amazing. Working with him, he was amazing. He's got a new book called Relentless Solution Focus. We actually bought one for all the people that work for Max Law, so I've gone through it. It's a really, really good book, so I highly recommend Relentless Solution Focus, and then also, if you you need a, a coach, just a mindset coach, someone to help you get through some things. He's also great. So I recommend that, that you reach out to him. Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. This has been really, really good. I, we, we really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Good stuff. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Maximum Have a great week and catch you next time.